people have to make their own individual decision of who are you going to follow? You're going to follow somebody that's continuing to sort of lead you down the primrose path. And you can make the determination, yes, I will do that. Or you can say, well, let me go get the facts and understand the lay of the land and the situation I'm in so that then I can understand how to approach advancing lean management in a scientific way rather than, than the unscientific way that has been promoted in the past. podcast. We are happy this week to have with us Professor Bob Emiliani. Bob, it's awesome to have you on the show. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Thank you. I'm happy to be on the show. Uh, A little bit about myself. I was an industry guy for 15 years, spent most of my time in uh, engineering operations and supply chain management, and then uh, ejected out of that into the world of higher education. I guess it's noteworthy that my experiences in engineering, manufacturing, and operations were as a manager, so I had you know responsibilities and was individual contributor type of stuff. Uh, uh, later on, at first, of course, it was everybody starts out somewhere. But um, anyway, then went into higher education, where I basically wanted to figure out what happened to me the last fifteen years, <laughs> and uh, a lot of that had to do with what we're going to talk about today: classical management, because it was like, geez, why, why is everything so weird? Why does everything yeah. seem so illogical? Why, why, do, why do these crazy things happen in the business world that don't seem to make sense? And so I had to eject out of that environment and spend the next 20 years sort of uh, unraveling the mystery of what the hell is actually going on. Uh, yeah, I see the, the uh, elephant in the room behind you. So. Yes, whoops, yeah. Yeah, you see a nice uh, post, uh, post-it note version of a value stream map way in back that somebody's... Uh, you know, giving a lecture and talking about that. But the elephant in the room, of course, is classical management. We're always wondering why we can't make more progress uh, than we do. And of course, unfortunately, in some places we do. You know, I think a lot of people look at my posts on LinkedIn and so forth and see all gloom and doom. But it's it's not that. I'm trying to shake people out of their complacency and see, you know, what's what's really going on. And, and you know, what, what inhibits us from moving forward is classical management. But then you know, begs the question, you know, what is that and, and why, why is that so um, held in such high regard by uh, most leaders that they want to continue uh, doing that and not uh, move forward with something like uh, a clone of Toyota management system or some, you know, high fidelity derivative of that or lean, if you want to call it that and so on. Uh, I got to say, as we dive into this, that my tackle box has been full of Bob Emiliani bait for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> where I've been fishing around on LinkedIn almost since I started with, could I do something with this guy? Could I do something with this guy? And when I finally hooked you for our LinkedIn live, I was like, man, now some of my dreams are coming to life. So very okay. much excited to have you here today and look forward to diving into. You, you, are, in you are one of the brave ones. A lot of, uh, <laughs> For whatever reason, a lot of people just are like, uh, I don't want to talk to this guy. I think he's going to just run me over, mow me over. I don't, you know, I'm just like, I'm not actually like that. But- well, I think one of the reasons that, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we find your content attractive is it resonates so well with our experience. And 
you know, I've had a couple of engineering roles, you know, CI manager uh, type of roles. And, it, you know, it didn't take me long to figure out that uh, they weren't particularly interested in, uh, you know, lean. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we have a real treat today for a lot of our listeners who've been through the same thing I went through, because we want to talk about how to survive as a CI manager. And I can't tell you how many phone calls and texts and mm-hmm. chats I've had with folks that got hired into a role of that type and they're a little bit in and, and they've got, you know, buyer's remorse and it's not what they thought yeah. it was going to be at all. Right. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of uh, make sure we're all talking the same language and on the same page, uh, why don't you share with the audience, like the difference between classical and lean management and, you know, kind of why that's, so important influencing a job as a CI manager. Yeah, well, let me first say that, I mean, one of the reasons why my work resonates with people is because I have been in those shoes of trying to, in industry, push forward, uh, you know, progressive management way of thinking internally and also with suppliers, external suppliers. And yeah, you run into a lot of these different barriers. And fundamentally, one of the, I mean, we all know one of the differences is this, uh, you know, this uh, lean management um, is rooted in uh, scientific thinking. So we're concerned about cause and effect and doing things that seem logical. And we know sometimes business isn't always logical and there's other factors you got to consider and so forth. But for the most part, what we see with, uh, you know, Toyota and the derivative known as lean is the application of the scientific method to management. And solving management problems, whether it's an HR, IT operations, whatever, engineering, whatever the problem is, with the scientific thinking. And PDCA, Kaizen, these are derivatives of the scientific method. And so if we're at the bottom of the organization as workers, you know, uh, so-called, um, you know, hourly workers, or if we're salaried staff or supervisors, we're at the bottom of the organization and we have to go about our business day to day dealing with problems and solving them using the scientific method to, to greater or lesser extents. I mean, sometimes we don't understand the problem, we put a Band-Aid on it and so on. But if we're, if we're the so-called lean thinker, we're trying to um, understand the, the root cause of the problem and correct it in a uh, you know, scientific kind of way. But when we try to um, you know, move forward with this thinking up the chain of command and you get to your mid, mid-level manager and higher, uh, they're not really interested in scientific thinking as a, as a way to manage or lead the organization. They're not interested in cause and effect the way people uh, at the bottom of the organization are. And so we, we run into um, just sort of that barrier of saying that this, this way of thinking, um, you know, a, a boss might say, you know, may or, may or may not apply, but, you know, if I think the sun comes up in the west and sets in the east, uh, that, then that's what's going to happen because I'm the boss. <laughs> And then we, uh, we have our cognitive dissonance that we face as a result of that. And we're wondering what's wrong with us and blaming ourselves for not being able to move things forward. And we deal with confusion and uh, um, just you know, irrationality and um, you know, uncertainty, uh, you know, all kinds of sort of behavioral things. We become preoccupied with how is our performance because the feedback from the boss doesn't seem too good. And, might be in some trouble and uh, sensitive to criticism and we think we're doing the right things and so on. And, um, and so it's, it's just, it's, it's a kind of environment that uh, you know, causes, causes us a lot of 
confusion. And I think most people think that, uh, you know, lean practitioners think that they're evolving in their thinking and capabilities and practices. And then we're wondering why people who are above us in the hierarchy, who um, with some presumption of uh, they're more intelligent, this could be wrong presumptions, but anyway, <laughs> presumptions of higher intelligence and, and greater status and, and more money and so forth. It's like, why don't they get this? And so we, we, really, we, really, uh, we really struggle with that. A great example of cognitive dissonance. Look at the shirt John picked out this morning. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. For our audio only listeners, he's wearing a couch fabric. <laughs> <laughs> it's it does match. Couch fabric. Yeah, it does, it does match. <laughs> um, you know, we, we find, you know, those of us that um, like to operate in the so-called real world, um, you know, sort of the, the physical world, have a difficult time dealing with, you know, bosses who are in a more metaphysical realm because we're dealing with, um, the, or the physical realm, the material world of, of problems. You know, if, if the machine breaks or whatever, we can't just say, well, I hope it automatically fixes itself. <laughs> we right. have to dig into the facts of the matter and, um, um, and, and make corrections and keep things, keep things going. But bosses that we deal with are, are really in a metaphysical realm because they're looking at spreadsheets and budgets and, and you know, numbers and KPIs and things like this that aren't really real. Uh, right. and, and, and then we, you know, want to get these people in the not really real world into our real world, and then they don't want to do it. <laughs> and so the more that's, levels, that's, like, yeah. the more levels of abstraction you have, like, the further that boss is from reality, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you have uh, machine data from the site, and the boss is looking at that, he's removed from what, you know, Ono would call the facts, right, versus mm -hmm. the data. But half of the time, you know, they're looking at a spreadsheet that, you know, is put together from multiple data sets that are actually put together from multiple data sets from where somebody spread, you know, filled out a spreadsheet, et cetera, et cetera. By the time you get like all the way down that pipeline, it's kind of a fantasy world. It's definitely, yeah. definitely not reality. I'll tell you a great conversation I had with John just this past couple of weeks we were chatting on the phone as I had done my first engagement with the construction industry. So I'm out there, boots on the ground, dealing with the construction world. And I called John. I'm like, well, wouldn't you believe X, Y, Z, you know, A, B, C, D are all the exact same constraints that we have out of logistics manufacturing elsewhere. And without a beat, he looked at me and he said, did you think objective reality would change? <laughs> like the physical laws of the universe were going to be different <laughs> whenever you switched industries? No, but we do see that again and again, where the farther you are directly removed, that that abstraction is just, it differs from reality so much. I can't even relate to where their headspace is. So like, how do we attack that, Bob? Like, what is, what is the, well, how do we I'll recognize it? How do we identify? Well, I'll, I'll we tell do? you what, what I did at a sort of a local level. And, and let me say, by the way, that some people, you know, cause I write a book, they think I'm a theoretical kind of person and I'm not. And the proof of that is, is that uh, I ignored my metrics, you know, when I was a manager because the metrics drove you to do the wrong things. And so I just did the right things and took whatever the heat I got for the metrics being not what somebody liked. But my peer group managers almost uniformly were like, you know, what's my metric? How am I doing? Uh, you know, and, and looking at that as their, their, their um, you know, they're the judge of their uh, effectiveness of their work. 
And I, I didn't look at, at that sort of stuff, but you gotta be, I was willing to take the hit, you know? And so I was in the practical real world of the facts, not in the theoretical metaphysical world of the metrics and uh, just, you know, take the crap that comes your way. Now, you know, I, I dealt with it for um, not all of my 15 years because, you know, six of that was individual contributor. But, um, but you know, the rest of the time I, I did deal with that. And, uh, but I don't, I don't know how much longer I could have dealt with that. Right, right. Uh, at least in the same company because pretty much everybody starts to know your number and here's a guy who we can't really control. Because yeah. he won't, you know, I'm the vice president and my, my bonus is based upon this metric. And here we got this guy, Emiliani, who just doesn't give a shit about the metric. <laughs> And so why do I want this guy in my organization who's not going to contribute to me meeting my bonus? So at some point, you kind of run out of, uh, of uh, runway, so to speak. And so you yeah. have to look yeah. for some find, other... find an exit strategy. Um, yeah, basically. So I know that uh, you distinguish between TPS and lean, and there's you know a historical yeah. background for that. For all of our listeners, when I say lean, I'm not being that precise. I'm really just saying generic TPS. Um, so talking about lean management, the kind of things that set it apart, one would be the respect for people. And then the other is a scientific approach to problem solving, um, and using like the PDCA cycle to continuously improve, um, um you know, each iteration like builds on itself and What's interesting is that approach creates psychological safety. Like that's a big buzzword nowadays. Mm -hmm. But if the organization is structured such that a boss can come in and change everything up, even if the boss is a nice person, but can change everything, you know, that's a level of, you know, psychological unsafety, you know, it's a level of stress uh, that's baked into the system. Um, so if we sort of say that the pillars of lean are continuous improvement and respect for humanity, right? How would you describe, you know, what, what is the thumbnail sketch of classical management? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, it's a, an environment that's just, first of all, it's very rough on people. You know, if, if you can't get the job done, it looks for somebody else who can get the job done. It doesn't look at, I mean, most of the problems that occur in business would happen no matter who's in those shoes at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And so just to replace people uh, is, is not a, a sound way of going about it, but that's typically, uh, typically what uh, you know, leaders will do is just, uh, is just replace people. Um, the, um, what was I going to say? The, um, the environment, um, so it's a very oppressive environment just in terms of working there. People are always on guard. They're worried about, you know, it's performative. You have performance appraisals. So it's obviously a performative environment that you want to um, do things that result in a good performance appraisal. So you collect a bunch of out of, out of boy or out of girl emails from people and you, you know, spend hours and hours on your performance appraisal um, and provide all this uh, supporting documentation so that you avoid the threats that continuously loom in a classical management environment. And bosses will say, well, you know, of course you should be threatened because we're threatened uh, and, and the competitive marketplace is threatening. But actually in classical management, what, what that environment seeks to do always is go head towards monopoly, you know, so you can relax and take it easy and not have competitors. So 
the classical management environment is always one that's really unwilling to uh, compete on even terms. It wants to gain some kind of advantage so that it has uh, less, less work to go do. So, you know, what do you have? You blame office politics, uh, you know, confusion and consistency. The expectations are unknown. The bosses are like, um, they don't want you to know them. I remember years ago, I said to my boss, what's expected of me? And the boss said, how should I know? I don't know what's expected of me. And, and that, that keeps everybody on their toes, but in a, in a negative way. And then, of mm -hmm. course, there's people who are, you know, revengeful and... Um, they thrive in that fog of war. Where yeah, I can be an absolute right. snake by not having expectations, not right. create any real value whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Inconsistency, uh, you know, unknown expectations, inconsistency, lots of biases and stereotypes. You know, you have to have a certain look in order to advance an organization. I remember, you know, one of the first companies I worked for, you looked at the executive team and it was just, you know, it was a picture of uh, you know, 20, 15 people. You know, they were all white men and, and one woman vice president in HR. And, uh, you know, that's going back some years now, but, uh, you know, clearly uh, some kind of a ceiling there. So you don't right. see, you know, what, what you would want to see as a human being in lean world, uh, what you would want to see in a company and what you hope to see in lean world is, you know, bosses that are calm in the face of crisis, uh, which doesn't happen every day. But when it does, you know, they're, they're calm. They have wisdom. Uh, they can uh, they guide you. They're patient. They're, you know, we talk a lot about humility. Uh, the objectivity, balance, and, you know, even keel, trust, uh, things like that, um, that, uh, you know, you would, that everybody knows are the, you know, good characteristics of leadership and that you typically see in organizations where the leaders do understand um, uh, lean well. But, you know, a lot of this understanding, you know, some of our stellar organizations, uh, um, and you, you all heard the names, you know, Wire Mold or Virginia Mason Hospital or some others. But a lot of these folks were trained in how to think, not just trained in Kaizen, but trained in how to think and how to lead by, you know, Kaizen consultants from Shingojutsu or, or Toyota. And while when they're leading Kaizen, um, you know, you're busy doing your Kaizen activities if you're on the Kaizen team. Uh, but then there's always dinner, you know, to go to at night. And that's where they have all these other conversations where you learn about really the Toyota way. So in Kaizen, you learn about TPS, but at dinner, you learn the Toyota way. And so when the leaders attend those dinners and the managers like I did attend those dinners, uh, that's where you learn um, that which previously was never written. And I've spent a lot of time trying to write down, you know, what is lean leadership, how do you lead a lean organization, and so forth, based on the kind of things that I learned and the wisdom of what these folks taught us. But previously, there was, you know, none of that. Now, the, the difficulty nowadays is most leaders don't like to read books and learn that most way. Most humans don't. Most yeah. humans don't. Like, I, I can't point to anyone in my circle that's read something <laughs> of substance in the last 10 years. And then kind of the opposite problem for the folks that do well, read. Well, hold on, hold on. When I'm not in your circle. No, you're like a thousand miles away. This was a geographic circle. This was not a personal circle. Okay, I'm in Texas. Okay, we're out on the farm. We're not in the books. But <laughs> you, <laughs> so you even said the ones that, that do read, the group on LinkedIn, like that do read, they read 50 bucks a year and don't do a damn thing with it. So I'm like, if you're going well, to that's, read, that's, apply yeah. it. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. I always look to read in terms of application. That's another thing, you know, people, well, you're a professor, you're theoretical. No, I read for application. You know, I mean, and he read my book, John. He actually read my I, book. I actually did. So I'm one of those people in your circle who reads. Awesome. Yeah. Still, still but have you applied it? Can you give us an example where you've applied it? I'm calling you out on live television. Oh, God, if you are, aren't you? Um, well, I know I highlighted a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's halfway. That's halfway. That's yeah, halfway. That's... yeah, yeah. It's a little obscure because Bob, every page was highlighted. Anyway, um, so but yeah, I mean, good... I think I think. What were you going to say, John? Well, I've got a pretty good classical management story that I think can solidify this for some of our listeners. I was working for a company, and from my first interview, I was trying to come up with an exit strategy. And I was trying to come up with an exit strategy because a director and a director of HR sat across from me at a table and said with completely straight faces, we're looking for someone to come change the culture. Um, so that immediately told me that this company did not know what culture is and how to change it or anything else. And they were in the process of re-upping a contract with a customer and the customer presented terms that were stupid. I would like to be able to put like some politically correct word there, but I can't, it was stupid. Um, and that's what I told my boss, this is stupid. You know, I will never sign this. Um, so the owner of the company signed it apparently. Um, <clears throat> and it did exactly what I expected, which was incentivize the organization to, you know, behave foolishly, mm -hmm. uh, metrics-driven behavior, uh, to the point where yeah. the agreed-upon behaviors were unethical. Um, mm -hmm. So I moved on, and shortly thereafter, the two levels of management above me uh, got fired. Right? Mm -hmm. And it, it was just a great example of, I'm not sure anybody else in the same situation could have survived or one because of the structure that was in place, the way that the company was being managed. Um, and so it was a good experience in, you know, classical management. Um, so uh, yeah, I, you're laughing because. Well, laugh at uh, my pain, laugh at my pain. No, I, I'm laughing because um, in my own work experience, you know, I, I, I had a lot of these sorts of experiences that you're describing. And mm -hmm. at some point, you know, I said to myself, um, okay, I'm tired of learning what not to do. <laughs> you know, I'd like to learn what to do. And you kind of right. run out of, you, you kind of get to the point where you run out of potential bosses you could report to who aren't, who, who are going to teach you, you know, the good things you should be doing. Like we talked about before that the humility, trust, you know, uh, wisdom, you know, all this stuff. Um, because the negative is good to learn from. You learn a lot of good stuff and you, and it helps you um, in part in, in future job interviews of what to look for. To, to, that's going to be the toxic environment that you don't want to be in. Or if you learn your lean stuff well, it also teaches you what to look for to determine if that environment is really what they say they are. So tired, so called tired lean of, company. Tired of right. looking at what you don't want to do. That makes a whole lot of sense why the three of us are married. Because now we know specifically what we need to be doing at every second of the day. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, it's called, 
it's uh, it's called experience. But yeah, no the, 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 the difficulty is, I mean, you know, I like everybody else had a lot of angst about this, you know, and what's wrong with me and why can't I move these things forward and so forth. And I talk to a lot of people just like you to do John and, and Jake and uh, that are really suffering, you know, and so part of my quest in doing all these the research and writing these books and drawing upon my own experience and so forth is to help to, in some measure to alleviate a, uh, human suffering. And that really didn't happen until, uh, you know, the, these books, Triumph of Classical Management, Rational Institutions Management, Mysterium came out to describe, uh, you know, why it's so hard to move um, um, progressive, you know, lean management, TPS, TMS, toward a management system forward. And that's when people have their epiphany. They read that and they go, oh, now I finally understand what I, I was up against. And I didn't know. And I thought it was all me that was, uh, you know, no good. And, you know, all these blows to my ego and self-worth and self-loathing. And, and, and when people do that, I mean, some people, you know, got their bad habits of drinking, gambling, whatever, to find some kind of satisfaction in life when it's not coming from something else. That's another, you know, important area, such as work. So now, I'll um, put the links down below to your books. Now, I have not read manage, Management Magisterium. Um, I yeah. have read Mysterium, John. Mysterium. That's what I said. You said Magisterium. Oh. Well, it, I mean, that's that's a, that movie. Isn't that that movie? The Magisterium? No. no. <laughs> With, um, yeah, that. Yeah, oh, this is Doctor. Like this is Doctor Parnassus, it, not Emiliani. <laughs> it, it might, it might be, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've been busy doing research. There might be. A I've read, like, uh, John and I are on I've Netflix the, while he's actually doing. I, I, I did miss all. I, I did miss all, all ten years of Seinfeld. That was on. Busy doing research. So I read the first two and great books that you know. I think just put into words something that you know I kind of knew and could feel. And um, it really was a great read. Both of both of them were great reads because, um, like you said, with the cognitive dissonance, you know, I was in this space where I'm like, I know something is wrong, but I haven't developed like the time and the discipline to put it into words. And you did that for me, and it was great. Um, so we'll definitely link those below. Um, so how to survive as a CI manager? You know, conversation I keep having. So classical versus lean management. Um, yeah, the, the subtitle is good luck. Um, but classical versus lean management. So why don't we talk about, you know, for those folks that are in a CI manager role, how do you assess like your company's management style? Are they actually a lean, lean light, lean adjacent, trying to be lean company? Or is it really classical management that just has a lean department? Yeah, I think one of the surest ways to find out if you're in a classical management organization is if you can't get any leaders to participate in process improvement. You know, mm, I mean, okay. one of the things that the book, The Triumph of Classical Management, showed that people at a high level, uh, you know, there's status and uh, things related to status and honor and so forth that precludes them from getting their hands dirty. And so if they refuse to get their hands dirty, that's this is really, you know, uh, one of the biggest indicators that they have no interest in, in, in leading this and engaging it personally. It's something they want to delegate. Uh, as you said, they have, a, they have a continuous improvement office or something like that for, for relatively low-level people to change the culture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I can't remember uh, it was in your book uh, because it's been a while, but um, I remember 
reading about, you know, some of the psychology, you know, behind that and this idea that sort of developed in the West, you know, a long time ago, like 150 years ago, where uh, a lot of the folks doing the work were trying to work themselves into a position where they didn't have to work. Um, and that sort of privilege is is seen as um, part of the honor structure for management. Um, you know, like physical work is below me almost. And, you know, we have some pushback nowadays, Mike Rowe and all of these guys, you know, bring back the trades, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, good stuff. Although, yeah. you know, that sort of came to the forefront when people started realizing that uh, a plumber can make more than somebody who went to college for four years mm-hmm. as an accountant, right? Um, so maybe not the most noblest of uh, cultural zeitgeist there, but definitely a welcome um, evolution. So if you have a company, if you're working for a company and the people in management basically sit in an office, issue edicts, come out every once in a while and have like an all hands meeting. Um, that sort of, that's, you're saying that's a pretty good indicator that. Yeah. I mean, you have to go back. It's not, it's not too far removed from, you know, the monarchs, Kings and Queens of 500 or more years ago. I mean, you know, do you think that when, uh, some sort of low level person, relatively low level who has access to the King say, Hey, you know, let's go, uh, watch, um, watch the Fletcher, you know, the person who makes arrows. Let's go watch how they go make arrows. And uh, maybe, uh, hey, king or queen, why don't you try to make an arrow so you can appreciate how hard it is to make an arrow, arrow and maybe you would then fund some uh, improvements or, or not even fund, but just allow some changes to be made that would improve the process so we can defend our nation. And, you know, the king or queen's going to be like, get out of here, you know, forget it. I'm not I think of this every right. time there's an event at like, you know, I'm at a company I previously worked for, I'm on site, and it's like a Halloween thing where everybody dresses up or it's a white elephant where everybody brings gifts and the management sits in the room but doesn't participate. I just imagine them putting on the crown like, entertain me, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, entertain I, you know, me. This is, I am this not is what... one of you, but please, humans. <laughs> like I, I think of yeah. that every time. There's a lack of participation there. Yeah, I mean, I, I call this in the book the system of profound privilege, mm-hmm. and it is part of what's called what I call the the you know the institution of leadership. And the institution of leadership means there are certain ways of thinking and and way you know one goes about things that um, are the norm within that 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 system and privilege is a big part of it. And, uh, and, and if you, if you step out of that world, then you risk being socially ostracized by your peer group. And, and for human beings, this, you know, the social aspect and feeling, um, you know, wanted or needed or part of a group, uh, a contributor to a group and so forth, it's very important to us. And we feel, um, you know, psychological pain when we're ostracized. I know because I'm, been ostracized out of lean world but we also feel physical pain when we're ostracized on that note but yeah we're we gonna to do schedule. something about that 
we have to schedule whenever John and I are going to formally excommunicate you from the league. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking we forward to We've got to get that on know, video. I've been you, thinking about for so long having this like, Toyota symbol written in blood, and we come out in like cult gear, and there's a when fire. I don't know, it's, it's, it's I don't not know the Toyota used the trademark. <laughs> yeah, it's not the Toyota symbol. It's the lean symbol. No, I haven't been excommunicated from Toyota world, only lean world. There's a difference. But right. oh, oh, yes, okay. you're going to do publicly what uh, others have been really – Frank, you know, too afraid to do. I mean, yeah, too, we'll make it official. We'll too, grab too your, wimpy, your lean certificates, to throw them in the fire. So, yeah. so I don't want to take it too far, but I'm going to um, yeah. use an example, you know, for our, I don't want our listening to, audience. But I'm going to. <laughs> but I'm going to. Um, Tony Soprano, right? So the Sopranos, you know, rated among, if not the best television show in history. And when you watch Tony, you know, the titular character or his lieutenants, right? What do they do? They don't work. What they actually do is they sit in a room and <laughs> fuck around and count money while other people bring them tribute, right? You got to mm-hmm. kick six points up to me, man, you know? And the only time they actually work is like if they're firefighting, right? They're in crisis mode. And that's kind of the, the plot of every show is like some crisis happens and now I have to react and it's reactionary. And Tony and and I think um, the actor there, what's his name? Gosh, it's slipping my mind. Uh, but he did a great job portraying this. He would get angry when he actually had to work. So he would just want yeah. well-oiled machine, make money, kick it upstairs, and then oh, there's something coming up the works. I've got to go take care of it. And and he would get so angry that he had to put down his cigar and take his feet down off the table and stop eating his gabagool, you know, and <laughs> go out and bust some heads. Right. And look, I mean, I, I know I'm taking it a little bit far with this metaphor, but if your manager acts like that, you're in a classical management environment. Yeah. Anytime exactly. I see a leader that is upset that you're bothering me, how dare you bring me a problem? To me, that is dead. Yeah, that's an, that's right? another good, simple one. Just bringing me a problem, exactly. But yeah. this is the stuff, you know, that that lean community doesn't understand or doesn't want to understand. I mean, in in terms of, um, I mean, not everybody. You read the books and so forth, but some people, you know, don't want to understand this. They continue to believe that if they give a presentation to a boss on higher profits, lower costs, higher quality. Shorter lead times, customer satisfaction, more more efficiency, developing people, learning, et cetera, that the boss is going to say great. Well, they may say great, but they're not going to get involved with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you, you really need to understand what you're dealing with. And these books really cover what is the lay of the land. And the big mistake that was made in Lean World, you know, 30 years ago was assuming they understood the boss. They assumed that they understood that you know, you give them a pitch on uh, higher prof- higher profits, lower costs, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the logical argument is going to carry the day. And, uh, and it doesn't. And, uh, and, and further, when you dig into the details, as you recall, the eight categories of preconceptions that I described in the book, you know, ec- what is it? The uh, um, Christ, economic, social, political, um, what is it? Yeah, economic, social, political, um, historical, philosophical, um, business, legal, and spiritual preconceptions. And in each category, there's 10 or 12 of those. So when you give a presentation to the boss on, on lean, you might hit on um, 
you know, half a dozen preconceptions, but there's another 110 to go uh, that you didn't touch upon. And, and, and even if you did touch upon all hundred and whatever of these preconceptions, the boss might say, you're right. It's logical. I agree with you, but we're not going to do it. Why? Because I'm the boss. Well, I think the, the glide path is also just messed up, at least here in North America, where you're an individual contributor engineer, right? And then you go to work as a CI manager in a separate silo that's not actually in charge of anybody. So you've never even learned right. this core facilitation. I'm part of this group. I'm actually being a part of the system. You're way over here and you're trying to enter this for your first time, like that's, kind yeah. of late in your life. And like but, that's something we have to we have to adjust somehow as... You know, most most business leaders hope that whatever the money that they spend in salary, benefits, computer, office space for CI people just somehow pays itself back, you know, more than what it costs. And and a lot of it is just sort of, uh, you know, an appearance thing. You know, you have to look like you're, you know, the way the bosses will talk. We got to look like we're in the game here. We need a continuous improvement office, you know, because our competitors do that. And so we need to do that. And when we go recruit people, they're going to ask. And so we need to have that and, and so on. And a lot of it is just, you know, sort of performative appearance, driven decoration. Entertain me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to work that in yeah. as far as. And it, there, is, there, there, is, there is that entertain me kind of thing because it's like, well, you know, because I got a meeting with the vice president next week to show them our results. And there is the entertainment aspect. And especially when you don't produce the results, then it's entertainment act right so what's your advice bob maybe john can throw in his thoughts on your ci guy you've clearly identified your roles within a classically managed company right before we before we get there because that's important good transition um but i want to be a clown for a little bit longer on this uh, point um (laughs) so a couple of things first in the tanakh there's a story about a king ancient israel um, and Great clown work, by the way. The, and the enemy, right, comes to come, comes to visit, right? They send spies, and the king takes them through the whole kingdom and shows off all of his treasure or whatever. And the moral of the story is like they come back and like kill the king and take his treasure, right? <laughs> well, that behavior, you know, is part of human nature. That's you know why we're still telling the story and. We see the same thing where we have classical management and they have a CI silo and they have, you know, a, an SQDC board that's beautiful and has the company brand on it. And they like to go around and have visitors and guests or whoever come in and look at how beautiful and pretty and everything we are and show off a little bit. Um, That doesn't mean that you're actually accomplishing business goals there. As you point out, I think in your work, that's actually the goal. Like the, their major motivation, the goal is to show off. It is to be pretty. It is to present to customers, especially, you know, with my experience in 3PL, right? This is a kind of a big deal. Hey, we have to get this certification. Otherwise, we won't get customers. You know, like I've had this conversation. We have to have a, a lean program or we won't attract the right customers. We have to be ISO certified, AQIS certified, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so the, the purpose isn't even to advance the business goals. Right. You know, what, what lean folks, you know, would hopefully like them to understand is that things like 
we're only 17 generations removed from Henry VIII. So the past is ever present. And this way of thinking that you described is still with us today. Uh, and, and, and the CI office can be kind of an ornament to the organization, just like in, uh, in you know, British royalty, you had something called a first footman. And this was somebody with sturdy legs who ran alongside the carriage. And, the, and you, paid, you paid to have some staff of first footmen to run alongside your carriage to show how important you were. They didn't do anything except run alongside the carriage. Um, so uh, yeah, you still have a lot of this type of um, way of thinking. And, and the other thing to understand is that classical management is seen as strength you know, and, and dominion over people. And lean management is seen as weakness because I'm listening to these people at the lower level and their problems and how they're struggling and I need to do something about it because as a leader, there are legitimately some things in my domain that only I can you know, improve or fix you know, to help uh, make their work easier. And that's seen as, as weakness. But um, listen to me, you anti-American shitbag. You need to grab your bootstraps with both <laughs> hands and shove it so far up your leg that you're standing on the moon and you need to do it by tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, it comes down to 30-something years ago, there was an assumption made that we understood um, the institution of leadership and the system of profound privilege and that, you know, uh, and that we can just charge forward with this lean stuff and, you know, all, all kinds of executives from all kinds of industry would embrace it and we would have a more a dynamic uh, economy and uh, we'd have uh, companies that were better to place to work for and whatever the wonderful benefits of all this would be. And uh, of course that didn't materialize. We're sitting here 30 something years later saying, you know, still struggling with how to move this, this thing forward. Same I, message, I, same background. Selling same us, message, same, same background. Story. I mean, I know I pissed people off on LinkedIn, just sticking it in their face, but the reality is that uh, important things weren't done. You know, the initial appeal was to executives, but no effort was put into you know, meeting with uh, union leaders mm -hmm. and, and, just, and, and just laborers to say, um, you know, here's, here's what, what we got. And if you do this thing right, it's tremendously beneficial. And we didn't have any charismatic promoters. Um, and I'm not sure that would have carried the day, but it would have been interesting to try to get some. Now, Jake is probably our... our uh, you know, one of the most charismatic promoters. No offense, John. Oh, uh, oh no, Jake just, is more just, charismatic than I just, am by a long just, shot. He just pulled it out of the out of the jacket. I'm hoping because, to earn oh another podcast God. here in the future. <laughs> but uh, but you know, we didn't have any charismatic promoter in the beginning. You know, we had a bunch of uh, uh, and it's, it's no knock on them, but they were you know researchers and you know uh, scientists or whatever the engineers and so on. Uh, social scientists and whatnot. And, um, you know, there was really nobody um, uh, to, you know, whip anybody up into a frenzy. We didn't have a good hype man or hype woman. You didn't have a Jake in the, in the picture yet. That's yeah. what it was. I, I also yeah. think that, um, I know I said I was going to keep it simple for the audience, but I'm going to go to that division between TPS and Lean, right? I think that Lean World, right, um, probably got a pretty good grasp of TPS and totally whiffed on the Toyota way and failed oh, to absolutely. realize that. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I like, documented, you know, Toyota way, first of all, if you look at the history of progressive management, there's always been something like 
respect for people. They called it different things in different times. Toyota Way 2001 document comes out and solidifies Toyota Way's two pillars, continuous improvement and respect for people. Lean World didn't start talking about that until December 2007 and January 2008. And I can direct you exactly to the sources when certain lean luminaries started to talk about that. There's a six year delay. Now, I'm on the outside, you know, way on the outside. There's a lean, lean uh, core, you know, but I'm way a million miles away. I'm, I'm Pluto. And I, uh, and, 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 uh, but they're on the inside. And they meet with Toyota executives and stuff like that. And there's a six-year lag between when the document comes out and when they start talking about it. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a major air ball. I mean, it's like you, uh, you know, it's... Well, it's easier to sell TPS products and services than Toyota Waste yeah, Perhaps so, but perhaps right. so. But the bottom line is, is you have disrespected people by putting them in the position of struggling by not bringing forward this respect for people principle at the earliest possible time, which should have been much sooner than 2001 if people had studied the history of progressive management, but our lean luminaries sit there and say, oh, that's scientific management's a piece of shit. Those people, you know, we don't wanna have any association with scientific management and lean, uh, you know, Frederick Winslow Taylor and so forth, bad person and so on, but right. they clearly don't understand what they're talking about. They didn't, they haven't studied it. If they did, it was um, um, derivative works that misinterpreted things and so on. And so th this should have been brought up, uh, you know, in the, in the uh, early, late seventies and early eighties. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. Uh, and so uh, it's been remarkable to, to, you know, sit here on Pluto and watch this. Well, as a result. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you something, and I feel really bad for all the people that have suffered because of this, and they have suffered, and it's, it's, it's enormously disrespectful and shameful, but the people who didn't bring res the respect for people principle forward when they had the obvious chance in April 2001, when the Toyota Way document came out, they didn't do it. And I don't know if they're trying to sell something or not, but it's shameful that they didn't. Well, I'll, I'll and they say my... nothing about it. There is I'll no th regret. There is no, you know, I was wrong. I should have done this. Nothing. Missed that one. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that my my two cents, whether it's right, wrong, or just completely stupid. But for the last like hundreds of years, there's been somebody who's an engineer of some sort with a big nose, like myself, like John's going, here's how you should do this. Here's how. And they slap the most logical thing, like you said earlier in your previous stories, here's the logically best way forward and gets 0% buy-in. So like a lot of the motivation for the brand is like, well, I'm just going to go the other way. If I can't buy you in with logic, then I'm going to hit you in your feelings, baby. Yeah, right? I'll make fun of I'm you see... until you change your mind. The weird thing that you see is you see a lot of classical management in Lean World itself you know in the in the, lot, in, in, the uh, in the promotion and advancement of lean management you know this this uh elephant in the room i can't point to it it's not working out this thing <laughs> um you know they don't want to acknowledge that it's there you know yep. whatever whatever the top whoever the top 10 or 20 lean luminaries are not a one of them has gone in on linkedin and said hey this book triumph of classical management 
answers the question. It's been floating around for 120 years. Everybody should read it so you know what you're up against. Not one of them. They don't bring it up. They don't talk about it. I don't hear from them, by the way. If you, in, in, some people may think you must talk to them, you know, offline and on the phone and stuff. No, not at all. Aren't I they, one they, of the, the leading of green is, luminaries, Bob? They, Aren't they, I one of them? Yes, you are. You're number 20. I listed 19. Oh, my things, gosh. So you're, almost, you're almost there. Oh, my but, I mean, but, but the, you know, the fact that they don't want you to know the lay of the land even today, to me, is supremely disrespectful and shameful. And so people have to make their own individual decision of who are you going to follow? You're going to follow somebody that's continuing to sort of lead you down the primrose path? And you can make the determination, yes, I will do that. Or you can say, well, let me go get the facts and understand the lay of the land and the situation I'm in so that then I can understand how to approach advancing lean management in a scientific way rather than, than the unscientific way that has been promoted in the past. So let me try my segue one more time, wrapping sure. in everything what you said. You're a CI manager. You work for a company, clearly classical management. You realize you're the first footman of this organization. <laughs> uh, what, what do you do? How do you move the ball? What is your strategy there for surviving, thriving within that world? Well, uh, for, first of all, job-wise, you probably have to keep moving every few years. Uh, secondarily, when you move every few years, you should have a contract with at least a 12-month, you know, they get rid of you within the two-year period. They got to pay you an additional year's worth of severance, something like that. Third, you just have to just try things. You know, I mean, you just have to experiment and try things. And the, the difficulty, of course, is when you think about the thousands of, of people like us who have been in organizations and try things. And I, by the way, I'm in a university, but I still try things. And most of it doesn't work. You know, people aren't interested higher up. Um, that you just try different things. Anyway, when you multiply all the things we've tried times all the number of people, there's no magic key that unlocks the uh, the door here, right? I mean, I, I, I haven't heard about it. I haven't seen it. Um, so see see what you can get away with, right? Because yeah, here, that, here's the thing. The CI people basically. that I talk to, right, um, it, and I've done it. That's how I know the answer so quickly. Uh, <laughs> the CI people yeah. that I work with, um, for the most part, have... A, a deep passion to help people mm -hmm. uh, and to yeah. see things get better. And, yep. you know, I've, I've talked to folks that are struggling with bitterness and, you know, mm -hmm. other negative emotions because, you know, they feel like they were lied to and, and whether it was mm -hmm. intentional or not, they kind of were, right. We're hiring you as a CI manager, but you can't actually see any eye. Right. Um, so <laughs> one would be, you know, see what you can get away with because, you know, you have that burning desire. Right. Um, two would be, you know, like protect yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. No, like learn, learn what's actually going on. Um, don't make, you know, the, the wrong missteps. Um, you, you know, look for a contract with some guarantees and then keep your options open. You might have to move on. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, well, quickly, you know, there. go ahead. Bob. The, 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 there were, Two problems, you know, problem one is why do leaders resist rejecting nor lean management? And that's what the books answer. Problem two is now that we understand the lay of the land, and this is what CI people should understand if they hope to survive, is understand what classical management is in the lay of the land. Then what, what do you do? What do you experiment with? What do you try uh, to do to get higher ups to accept this? And a lot of it 
ends up being like what I do is just underground, you know, underground CI work. You just go about do the work, but without fan. Ninja lean. Yeah. Ninja, Nick Usher yeah, and I exactly. talked a lot about that. over Exactly. There. You just go Ninja make changes. Lean. You don't, you don't trumpet it. You don't highlight it. You don't brag about it. You just go make changes. And, uh, I feel yeah. like, I feel like there's a, another book coming out. Is that the vibe that I'm getting? No. Ninja Lean. Bob and Jake. Yeah, no, not that. <laughs> Bob no, and no. Jake. Ninja Lean. I, I, I have been doing some research, and it's, uh, but it's not on that, that particular topic. It's MI5S. Um, it's actually, what I'm looking for is the Occam. You know, so the three books we talked about earlier is sort of the long, complex story, but I'm looking for the Occam's razor. Uh, what's the elegant, uh, simple answer? Um, to this problem so that's a is that is that quote john by kerouac when i know the words it will be simple Mm. yeah yeah well i'm looking forward to that that sounds uh, pretty interesting bob so i know we have a lot of ci practitioners that follow jay carroll the funniest lean guy and follow zoom operational excellence and listen to a quality podcast so we appreciate you coming on and talking about something that is just a conversation we keep having, having, which is help. I took this job and I don't think it is what it is. Well, you're right. It's not right. And classical management is the reason for that. Um, and I think you've provided, you know, a real service today and value to people, um, for folks that want to follow up and get a pretty good grasp of what we're talking about. Um, irrational institutions, the management magistrate, uh, I was waiting yeah. for you to try Magisterium. Imaginarium. Triumph of classical management, irrational institutions, and management mysterium. Because it's mysterious. Mysterium. Oh, yes. Mysterium. But what we're what we're what we're what those works do and what we're doing today is ultimately, like you said it earlier, John, what we're trying to do is help each other. We're right. trying to help people. We're trying to help each other. We're a community of people that you know likes to help each other, likes to see improvement, likes to share ideas, likes likes to make progress. And that's what we're trying to do. And, yeah, and, I was. And, and for some reason, I'm out on Pluto, but whatever. <laughs> well, you know, every uh, culture and movement needs like those prophetic voices on the edges, right? Like we have to have that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to Jake, I think it was this week. And I said, I don't give a damn what the game is, but I need to know the rules then I can win. Um, and that's part of what we're trying to do here today is yep. help CI managers, some of whom, if you're in anything like me in my experience, have a small level of naivety where, um, you know, we we learned a lot of, um, I guess, values and ways to do things that resonated with our basic humanity. And, you know, I like people. I like to see people win. And I saw these kinds of engineering roles as a way to do that. And then I got into them and realized that that was a crock of shit. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, um, self-actualize. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for all the folks out there that are in that boat, we feel you, we've been through the same thing. And Bob, we really appreciate you coming on and talking about this with us. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jake. I'm going to make your top 10 list of influential lean luminaries (laughs) at some point in your life. I don't know when, but I'm coming for it. It could be very soon. It could be very soon, but you had to deconstruct the uh, the letters that I put on LinkedIn the other day. I already did. I mean, you only have one G in there. Who else is it going to be? Who else is it going to be? Just there's only one G in the whole world that's the okay. top 10 luminary. Okay. All right. Hey, listen, well, it has been a pleasure. Thank you a lot. Yeah.
Thank you, uh, Bob, for coming on. Um, before we sign off, how can folks get in touch with you? Oh, they can just, you know, uh, email me, Bob at BobEmiliani.com. You know, that's another thing people are like, uh, uh, they fear contacting me for whatever reason. I can't fathom. But. Because you're smart and <laughs> most people, you know, have a fear of uh, you know, it's, using it's, an argument. Uh, I just I, 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 to, look. I look at. I was a B minus student, so I'm not so sure smart uh, uh, is the right. No, I, I, you know, I work hard to, and I study, and I, you know, it's not nothing that comes naturally. I'm not a I'm not a book uh, smart kind of person. I was worried whenever I sent you a first email, you would immediately respond classic email. <laughs> yeah. Just immediately attack it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I know. I don't. Uh, people have that impression and I, I don't know where it comes from but um that's that's it so well bob we have uh definitely <laughs> all benefited from your work so we appreciate your public service and thanks for coming on the podcast today to everybody out there in youtube land thanks for listening goodbye you put up with john shirt so we appreciate you <laughs>